Pastor Ed Taylor with one of the ways we can be of some help to others. Our responsibility in the body of Christ is to help those that are tied up with grave clothes, or what I like to say is the death clothes of sin. And I find so often that folks that are new believers, they've been called forth to life from Jesus, they need our help to loose them and to see them go free. They need our help. People that would walk in the doors of our church, perhaps, wrapped up in their grave clothes of sin. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Today on Abounding Grace, we're encouraged by the truths contained in John 11. Jesus' friend Lazarus has just died, and the Lord is just about to go to the funeral service and not only bring comfort, but also perform an unforgettable miracle. And as he does, he teaches us something important about his heart and love. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. John chapter 11. Today we will finish the chapter. It opened up in the very beginning with great sorrow and sadness in the town of Bethany as Lazarus was sick and his sister sent word to Jesus for help. And then the town was engulfed with even more sadness as Lazarus died and grief began to flow through the community. And then with that great grief now was the reality uh, they found out that Jesus delayed his coming, that he could have come to help and heal, and he didn't. Instead, he deliberately waited to come. And now they're dealing with that, thinking of how Jesus the Messiah failed them. How could he let Lazarus die? How could he allow us to feel so much pain? So many of the questions that we ask in our own lives in a variety of circumstances the why questions, and why me, and why now, and what's going on, I don't understand. We left off with Jesus crying in, in verse 35 of chapter 11. Mary's crying, Martha's crying, the town is crying. They're in the middle of that one week that was dedicated to the most difficult time of grief. That's when Jesus showed up, in the midst of their grief. Certainly they appreciate him being there, but They wanted him to come early, and it didn't happen. And he weeps as he weeps over the effects of sin, over the pain that's there. And we learn uh, in Psalm 56 that in the midst of our crying, in the midst of our weeping, the Bible says that God comes with a tear bottle, and he keeps all of our tears in a bottle. He numbers all of our wanderings. He cares intimately about us. And what a great study that was. Pick up now in verse 36 as Jesus is weeping and the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And before we move on, let's just answer that question. Could Jesus have kept Lazarus from dying? Yes or no? So you get where they're at. 
They're still asking the questions of the reality of the situation. They're asking, well, man, he's crying, but he could have helped. And having to deal with the reality of losing Lazarus. Then Jesus, it says in verse 38, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And so like any other time of loss, emotions continue to run high with everyone involved, even on the minds of others, not just those that were super close, but the not, those that were in the community, those that were connected in some way to the family. They wonder why Jesus didn't act the way they wanted him to act, but we also recognize that Jesus is always acting in harmony with the Father. So what might seem like inactivity to us is not inactivity at all. He's acting in accordance with the will of God, and he alone was able to say that he always did those things that pleased the Father. That troubles us in sometimes because we think that what pleases the Father is exactly how we would want the situation to turn out, but God has a greater plan and a greater purpose. We know that, we live with that, and we live by faith trusting in him. Now, verse 39 says, Jesus tells them, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Now Jesus said, he came to the tomb, he arrived at the perfect timing of the Father, he comes to them, they all gather together, they're, they're in a constant state of mourning, and he looks at the tomb and he says, take the stone away. And Martha, when she hears that command, she says, now wait a minute, it's almost like she's saying, and I'll paraphrase, don't you understand what you're asking, Jesus? He's been there for four days. That means the decomposition process had already begun on his body. Lazarus is already in the presence of the Lord. His empty shell, his body, is in the tomb, and it's already started to decay. It's going to stink. It's not good. We're, 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 you asking us to do this doesn't make any sense. Now, in the New King James, it says a stench, but if you happen to have an old King James on your lap, he, she says something like, you know, we, we don't want us to move that. Uh, you know that he stinketh. We don't use that word anymore, but it's true. In order to appreciate what's happening here, you really have to put yourself as close to the tomb as possible in your mind. What Jesus is asking doesn't make any sense whatsoever. They're already, perhaps even four days now into this, coming to terms with the reality of their loss. They're in the midst of grieving, but maybe the shock is wearing off just a little bit. They're coming to terms with Lazarus. They've gone to bed and woken up and gone to bed and woken up and gone to bed and woken up and gone to bed and woken up without Lazarus. And now Jesus comes to the tomb and says, move the stone away. Now realize they don't recognize at this point yet that Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, Jesus has mentioned that he's the resurrection and the life, but not, he hasn't said at any time, I've come to town and I'm going to raise him from the dead. He hasn't said that. So they're thinking this through with, well, why? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. To me, I believe that the stone becomes very representative for us. It becomes a picture. You could call it the stone of unbelief where he comes to their, their lives and he says, I want you to move the stone of unbelief. That's where it's going to begin. 
That's where my work is going to begin when you move the stone of unbelief from your life. Where you do what I tell you to do. Nothing is impossible with God. Jesus said to remove the stone. And it's, it would be wise for us when Jesus tells us to do something to do it without any question. But Martha here, she does what we do. I don't know that there's anyone among us that hasn't done this before. Where we've got a good reason why we're not going to obey God. It's a good reason. This, I would agree with Martha, this is a good reason. Why? Why, why, why would you want to do that? None of us want to go through that again. None of us want to smell what's going on in there. It doesn't make any sense. Why would we? But, and yet behind that, Jesus knew that that stone had become a barrier of their faith. That he wanted to do a work there. And it was truly a stone of unbelief. You see, nothing is too small or too insignificant or too weird for him. He doesn't turn us away with our requests or push us away in our doubts. And so Jesus comes and tells them to take away that stone. With the answer, and by the way, good reasons can very easily become really bad excuses if we let them. Where we have good reasons, but Jesus said to do it. And when Jesus tells us to do something, we only have one choice to do it. That's our only choice. Now, of course, there are other choices that we can choose, but the only wise choice is just to do it. So in response to her good reason, notice what he says in verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you? And I wonder how often God says that to us. Didn't I say to you? You know, we come up with a good reason. We got a reason why we're not going to do this. We got a reason why we're not going to make that. We got, we got all our reasons. And the Lord says, didn't I say to you? Now, of course, I want you to mark those words because the ending is always different for us. But for them, notice he says, didn't I say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Now you understand how that stone became a stone of unbelief in their lives. Because this is the issue. He says, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you're going to see something glorious? Didn't I tell you if you would just believe me? Because obedience comes in direct relation to our trust in God. When we believe, we're more apt to obey. It's in our unbelief that we disobey and we refuse to follow through with what God has put before us. He said, didn't I tell you? And how often I hear that question in my own heart, my own mind in life. Didn't I tell you, Ed? Didn't I give you that scripture? Didn't I give you that section? Didn't you write it down? Aren't you, have you been, haven't you been holding on to my promises all this time and now you're met with belief? Haven't I showed myself, I mean, didn't I say to you, I hear that all the time, as I'm faced with the issues in my own life, ongoing trials and waiting on the Lord. Didn't I tell you? And I said, yes, Lord, you told me. Yes, Lord, you told me. I will act by it in faith. I will trust you. And here he repeats again the order of God. He says, didn't I tell you, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you would see? Now we've looked at this before, haven't we? The world says, I'll see it when I believe it. But the Bible, God is constantly telling us, you will see when you believe. It's that instant. Man, when you believe, God opens your eyes. He takes the scales off your eyes. And you begin to see things and know things. And God reveals things to you through faith and by faith. It's rather prideful and arrogant, is it not, for us to stand before God and say, I will believe it when I see it. When God has continually told us, you'll see it when you believe. So beautiful. 
Jesus tells them to take away the stone. And we forget the word. Do you ever forget the word in your life? You ever forget the promises of God? Anyone here, anyone ever forget the faithfulness of God? I think it's a common human thing. I mean, as we're getting older, now obviously not all of you are getting older, but I'm getting older. Uh, the age is, my odometer is clicking, I see it. There's, you know, and that when we were young, we would count, you know, when you ask the little kids today how old you are, they always go up on their age. So, you know, if, they're, if they are three years old in two days, how old are you? Almost four. What? Almost four? For us, we tried to go down 10 years, you know. How old are you? Oh, I don't know. Somewhere in my 20s, I lost track, you know. I don't know. And as I'm, as I'm getting older, all kinds of things are changing. Uh, my body is not repairing as fast. I'm not running as fast. I can't keep up with things. And, but one thing that's really affected me is my mind. Now, of course, for me, it's my age. I've had a couple years of extreme stress in my life. Uh, and, and then probably a little bit of my past before I was walking with the Lord that I did great damage to my body with drugs and alcohol and messed up with my mind. But I'm having a significant season in my life where I'm forgetting things, even to the point where it's making me mad that I forgot. Like you, you forget something, you go, I shouldn't have forgot that. And then the Lord's reminding me I got to be depending on the Lord and, and I got to be trusting him. But, but that's been a real issue for me lately. It's just, man, my memory. But the problem with that is, is that I remember things I don't want to remember. I'm remembering things that I want to forget. And I'm forgetting the things that I want to remember. And that's pretty frustrating. Because I got songs in my head that I don't want in my head. If God would just take some things out of my head and make room for other things, he can start taking th- songs like, well, like the theme song to Green Acres. Is that in your head? Dun, 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 dun. Oh, it is. And so young, some of you young people, what is Green Acres? Look it up on YouTube, all right? It was a dumb TV show that we all had in our head, and now that song is in your head. Last night, one of the brothers texted me on the way home, and he said, thank you, Ed, for sticking Green Acres' song in my head. And I said, I'm sorry, bro. Maybe the Gilligan's Island theme would help. You know, I don't know. <laughs> but I've got these 80 songs in my head, and I've got, I've got all these things in my head, but what I want in my head is to remember the faithfulness of the Lord. What I want in my mind is to remember how to love those that are in my life. What I want to remember is what God has said to me because what God has said to me is the very bedrock of my life. And this is a barrier to our growing faith as a forgetful mind. So I know for me personally, I specifically pray for my mind. I I pray for my memory. Uh, There are many times I'm just there, you know, after the frustration, I just say, Lord, I don't know why I'm forgetting these things. I don't understand what it is, but I'm praying for you to restore what's been lost in my mind. And I believe you can do the same thing. Maybe it's manifesting in a different way for you, but it would do well for us to ask God to help us remember the preciousness of his promises. To put, you know, the Bible even gives us a promise that we can hold on to that the Holy Spirit will bring to our remembrance the things that we've been taught. And we can claim that and we can hold on to it even though our bodies are disintegrating in a slower pace and our minds are not what they should be. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where our faith is built up. And so he tells them, don't you remember, verse 41, now they took away the stone. 
Then they took it away from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. You know that I, you, I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So it's interesting. Jesus tells them to move the stone. They get a response. He reminds them, hey, didn't I tell you? And then they finally go and move it. And instead of doing anything, he starts to pray. And everything that they were afraid of happening started to happen. The stone was moved. The smell was starting to come out of the cave, out of the tomb. And Jesus isn't doing anything. He just immediately begins to pray. And he prays out loud. It's okay to pray out loud. I know sometimes you get uncomfortable when you're praying in a group. But to pray out loud is a good thing. And the reason why Jesus is praying out loud, he told us so that they would believe. He's speaking these things out loud in the public so that faith might be built up. He's speaking, he says, I know that you always hear me, but because of the people that are standing by, I said. I know that you hear me. I could pray in my heart like Nehemiah did. I can pray silently. I know you hear me, but I'm speaking out loud because my life affects other people and I'm speaking out loud so they can believe. I want them to believe. That's how it's so important on the heart of Jesus for us to trust him and believe him. Even when the circumstances of life just scream at us not to believe. To scream at us that God isn't faithful. To scream at us when things don't go our way to become upset or short with God. No, no. He wants us to believe. And there's no doubt that Jesus' love is unquestionable and foundational here. There's no doubt that he's the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. Everything that's happening, even though it's not the order that we would expect. It's like, man, you move the stone. What are you going to do next? Oh, you're going to start ignoring us and praying, lifting up your eyes and talking to the Father. And just everybody's there just like, what's going on? And here it says in verse 43, with some time passing, we don't know how much time this here. It could be as little as what he said. But in verse 43, he gets right to it. He says, now then, now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, aren't you glad he said, Lazarus, come forth? Because if he just said, come forth, they would have really been tripping out on all the resurrections that would have been happening around. Like, these are words of power, but it's specifically for Lazarus. And Lazarus being fully alive in the presence of God, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He's fully alive in the presence of God in an instant is back on the earth. Now, how do you think that felt? I had a young man after service come up yesterday, and he had that question. He says, Ed, what do you think? How do you think Lazarus felt? And I think that's a great question. Because I, it, it's, the same, it's the opposite of what we're expecting in our lives. The Bible is very clear that our last breath on earth will lead to our first breath in the presence of God. The Bible couldn't be clearer for those that have a faith in Jesus Christ. That you will forever be with the Lord. That is God's promise to you. You, as much as you enjoy your relationship with God right now, it's going to be greater and grander and more beautiful. Can you imagine a life untouched and tainted by sin? Can you imagine untainted by sin? Can you imagine your own life? Can you imagine living in an in a, in a area where nobody is sinning? There's no sin against you. You're not sinning. I mean, it, heaven is more than we can even imagine. 
so glorious. We expect in whatever millinano, whatever the fastest second there exists, that's how fast you translate and our loved ones that have gone before us translate into the presence of God. And so there Lazarus is enjoying the presence of God. Maybe he's in the four days he's been there, he's been hanging out with Moses and he's over there with David and he's just enjoying everything that there is. And then in a nanosecond, he's back in his body. I mean, just boom, back in his body. And I think part of the miracle here isn't just that he was back in his body, but that the sickness in his body was also healed. So he's back in, and, and, and I, think, I think it was probably a little bittersweet myself. I think that there was a sense of, whoa, whoa, what's happening here? And then to have his family, being back with his family, I think brought joy to his heart. And I think that, you know, he probably had this wrestling of, man, heaven was so good, but I love my family. And we'll be in heaven soon enough, but man, we're back. So I'm sure it was a little bittersweet for him. But the Bible doesn't say, doesn't tell us. And so he comes forth, and then verse 44, And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Glorious words. He comes out, and again, you, you can't underemphasize what a weird thing this is. Because the stone is rolled away. The smell is emanating. Jesus is praying. He yells out loudly, Lazarus, come forth. And then there's Lazarus in his grave clothes. See, he's wrapped up in linens, spices. His face is wrapped up. And we know he's coming out in some restrictive way because the command was given. You need to go loose him up. Free that brother. Take off those grave clothes. He's not dead. He's alive. Now in that, we see a picture, I believe. I believe it's a very powerful picture of the need that we have for one another. We can't miss this. The command, was, the command to Lazarus is you come forth. The command to those around him is you go help them. The command to Lazarus, you come forth, but everyone around him, you need to go help him. He needs to be loosed. He needs to be set free. And he needs help with this new season of his life. So go help him. And our responsibility in the body of Christ is to help those that are tied up with grave clothes, or what I like to say is the death clothes of sin. He is in grave clothes because of the consequence of his own sin. The consequence of sin in general, the wages of sin is death. That's why his body was wrapped up. And I find so often that folks that are new believers, they've been called forth to life from Jesus. They need our help to loose them and to see them go free. They need our help. People that would walk in the doors of our church, perhaps, wrapped up in their grave clothes of sin. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor and part of a study in John's Gospel. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com or you can listen through our app as well. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And we also have a podcast. Look for us where you get your podcasts. 
If you take a brief moment to write or call, you know, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com by clicking on Contact. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of E.M. Bounds on Prayer. We know we're to pray, but if you're like many, you don't do it nearly enough. Or when you do pray, it's just a mindless repetition of a phrase you've come to use. Well, this book contains some of E.M. Bounds' finest writings on the subject of prayer and will help you see what a blessing communication with God truly is. I think you'll walk away with some valuable insights that you can apply right away to your prayer time. To donate and order this today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's toll-free, 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our e-store at calvaryco.store. It's your generosity that helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Making a donation to the ministry is easier than ever through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Tell a friend about these daily studies, and then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the Gospel of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.